0: And that brings us on to stories of grace. There is a stories of grace slide, Martin, if you want to flag that up. Um, Basically, what we're going to be doing for the rest of the morning is just hearing about how God has been working in the lives um, of ordinary but wonderful people who are part of Grace Church, haven't. Um, Karis, my wife, for those of you who do not know Karis, said last week that I tend to, whenever I speak, Um, refer to either stories that come from books or refer to stories that involve cars. And so I've decided to remain absolutely true to form, and I'm going to start with a car story and end with a book story. So um, car story, if you think about different kinds of journeys, right, my journey to church, we live in Chichester, is often very, very straightforward. It's Sunday morning, and it is a lovely time to drive up the A27 because it's just, there's hardly anyone about. It's just very lovely. It was a bit drizzly this morning, but Generally, we've got some songs, Paul's singing in the back of the car, so it's just a great time. It's very smooth and lovely. Um, we were going to, we were spending a week with um, with my parents, so we with them Monday to Thursday this week. They live in Dover, just along the coast, and um, they've been here before, here a couple of weeks ago. And basically, the journey that we did Thursday night, coming back from Dover and um, to Chichester, was just pretty horrific. Like some of the worst conditions that I have ever, in my whole three years of driving. Um, have ever encountered. Like, so we were starting off. Now our car is not in great shape anyway. So uh, week before last, um, got a puncture on a tyre when we were on the dual carriageway. Had to someone come, and I wasn't able to to replace it in time for us to go up there because of the Easter weekend. So aware that the like the the spare tyre was was not in great shape. Um, it's generally just a bit of an older car. It served us very well, and we love it very dearly, but is approaching the end of its car life. Um, but also there was, there was horrific hail as well, like just some of the worst hail. And it's amazing, I've never quite seen it, just the way that all the cars on the motorway were just then drawing to a very steady stop, just going very slowly, like the amount of slush all over the road was just pretty crazy. It was horrific driving conditions. We had the mixture of sun, and then there was loads of hail, and it was just fairly bumpy and like, oh, what is going on? Gripping the steering wheel very tight. Now, if we had to compare what life is like to one of those two car journeys, my pleasurable ride to church on a Sunday morning or that journey back from Dover, I think we could all safely say that life is more like that journey back from Dover. There might be the times where actually we were looking forward to... Um, to our destination to where we're going to we're enjoying maybe chatting or the sunshine in the car and there's also then times where there's just enormous amounts of hail and we kind of feel like we're just gripping on for dear life and it feels pretty horrific Um, but the thing is we we shouldn't be surprised when life is like that because actually that is quite clearly what the bible tells us life is like as well if you think about job if you know the story of Job, lost his his family and all of his wealth, and, um, he eventually gets to the point where he just wishes he'd, he'd never been born. He is so miserable. Um, or you think about Jonah, who God's intentions and plans for him were not just not what, quite what he wanted to do, but almost intentionally opposite. He wants to be heading in one direction. God is calling him to head in a completely different direction. Or if you look through the Psalms, all through the Psalms, we've got... Um, People who are worshiping and praising God, but also got like horrific situations with enemies, people who, who want them want them dead, want awful things to happen to them, um, or people who are just feeling so low or perplexed, asking like, "Where are you, God?" And actually, we would know that that is how life happens. We know that life is full of the ups and downs, full of the bumps. But what we know is that God is is constant and present. Um, in all of the different situations that we experience in life. Can I grab your Bible again, please Thomas? I left my Bible in the car, which was a foolish decision when I was going to be so dependent on the Bible. If you just want to turn to Psalm 9, if you've got a Bible, that would be helpful because it will let me pause while I find it. Two. Psalm 9, verse 1 and 2. Psalm of David, and he says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart, I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. And where he says, I will tell of all your wonderful deeds, that is what we're coming to do this morning. We're coming and we're acknowledging, hey, life is bumpy. Life is not always on the mountaintop. Actually, we go through the the darkest valleys as well. But the thing is that we can be sure um, that God is present and with us and this morning we are going to come and tell of his wonderful deeds my um, my book story I love the the chronicles of narnia probably my favorite like set of books I'm sure lots of us would have either heard of them or if we not read them um my favorite of the the series is the horse and his boy which is the the third book chronologically although not the best way to read them. The horse and his boy. It follows um, the the tale of a boy called Shasta, and he's raised um, in, a, in a fictional land called Colormen. Um Basically, never knows kind of who his who his true family are. He's raised by a fisherman who finds him when he is a, a little boy. Um, but basically, Shasta goes on this adventure with a talking horse, of course, called Bree, um, and they are trying to find the land of Narnia, which is full of these good things that they are expecting. Um, but over the course of the story, again, the ride is pretty bumpy for Shasta. So he um, yeah, basically is chased by lions, which is not something which loads of us have encountered before, but chased by lions at several different parts. He goes over this long trek um, across a desert because he needs to warn some people that they're about to get attacked by this army. Um, he spends a night around these creepy old tombs, and there are jackals that come and make strange noises, and he's afraid. Um, the thing is, he then at the end of the, towards the end of the story, he then has a, a, a mystical kind of mysterious figure who is walking next to him, and it's heavy fog, and he can't see what's going on, and there's just this voice that speaks to him, um, and the voice we found out is the voice of, of Aslan, the lion, and um, this voice says, hey, listen, all of those times where actually you were, you were struggling, actually it was me, I was there present and with you, he says, I was the one who pushed the boat that you weren't even aware that you were on when you were a little baby. I'm the one who pushed you to shore so that you could be raised by this, this fisherman and not lost at sea. I was the one who got rid of all the jackals and, um, and comforted you when you were at the tombs. I'm the one who, who chased your horses across the desert so that you'd be able to get to your destination in time. Um, and I think that's just such a wonderful picture of what life is like for us actually we go through life we've got the ups the downs we don't understand how it all fits together but we know that jesus is present with us um yeah and so we are going to hear some of these stories now and i'm going to stop talking so we're first of all going to hand over to sean and we're going to be super encouraging for these people because talking in the front is not an easy thing to do let's just keep it going keep it going there we go get everybody ready for you sean
1: thanks johnny Um, Hi. So as Johnny said, my name is Sean, and I lead the youth team here in Haven. Um, But like Johnny, I actually live and work in Chichester. So me actually being in Haven doesn't really make much sense. Um, But it's a story of obedience, perseverance and a whole lot of faith. So it all started back at West Point in 2018. There was a call to go forward if you were willing to be sent out for God. And I was just chilling there when Suddenly, I was on my feet going to the response area. Then I was asked why I responded, and I just said, I was willing to go wherever God sent me. So I was prayed for and went home and pretty much forgot about it. And then a few months later, um, Liz asked me to come over and run a youth session here one Sunday. The youth had suddenly exploded, and she was struggling to fill the rotors. So I said yes and came over. And after the service, I was just hanging out and chatting to a few people when I very clearly felt like God said, you belong in haven't site. And it really didn't make any sense to me because I live in Chichester and I was really, really settled there, but it was so clear what God was saying. So a few days later, I told Liz this and she said to go away and pray about it and really consider if it was the right thing. So I went off and had it kind of in the back of my mind but didn't really worry about it. Then maybe a week later, Joe called me and asked me if I would consider coming to Haven temporarily for about six months um, to lead and build up the youth team. They'd been talking about it and who could maybe do it. And my name came up. It was obvious that God was in this. And I'd already felt that um, Haven't is where I was meant to be. And he was guiding me. So I said yes. And with a lot of faith at the beginning of 2019, I made the move to the Haven't site. It was a real step of faith for me. I can be rather shy when people first meet me and it takes a while for me to make friends. So I was nervous about having to start again with new people. And it didn't get off to the best start when Lou nearly scared me off in my first few weeks. (laughs) And if you want to know that story, you can ask me later. Um, (laughs) But God had brought me here for a reason, and I was seeing it through. So things started off okay, but by the end of my six months, I'd lost half my youth and half my team. So things were worse than when I started. Um, It was so disheartening when I'd been working so hard and felt like it was all going wrong. But there was no way I could leave things Um, with things the way they were so I said I'd stay for longer and build up the youth team so I spent some time praying and asking God to provide more team and just as I started to get some momentum and have some team join COVID happened and everything stopped in person so we still ran youth online via Zoom every Friday and Sunday morning for about a year we would have Zoom calls and try and keep engaging with the kids but it was really hard work and I was very happy when we were going back to meeting in person But by this point, I was the only person on my team. I was genuinely baffled as to how God had brought me to heaven and then let everything around the youth fall apart. So once again, I was putting all my faith in God to provide a team for the youth. I began asking, or maybe begging, my friends to join. um, And probably because I was so desperate, Lou and Alice both agreed. Um, However, Lou was needed in the kids' team to begin with. So with two, me and Alice, I had enough to run youth every week if we were both on all the time. Um, it wasn't ideal, but it was better than nothing. Then Lou was released from kids and were able to join us, which took a little pressure off. Uh, then, a few months later, an appeal for people to join youth teams across all the sites because we were struggling went out, and through that, Dave and Rich both agreed to join the team. With five people on the team, I made the decision to try and run youth every week, which was a real step of faith, as trying to sort out the rotors when the others were all serving on other teams was a nightmare. Um, I think I ended up serving about half the weeks for a while but it was so worth it to be able to run youth every week and i love serving our young people we are so blessed to have some amazing youth in this site they're kind and funny and passionate and just such great young people um this coming term bill has agreed to join the team so for the first time in four and a half years i have a full youth team (laughs) as i was thinking about this god reminded me of something from the grace great great grace camp out in the summer. We were looking at prophecy and we were given these postcards to look at. Then we were meant to write what God was telling us on the back of the card. And then we were told that that prophecy was for ourselves. I wrote, right now you're doing the difficult work. Soon it will be complete. I felt like God was saying, you've done the work and you've been so faithful. Here is the team you wanted. It may have taken a lot longer than I initially thought, but it's been so worth all the effort. When God calls us to be obedient, it will be hard and you will face things you don't expect but he'll bless you in ways you can't imagine. He's given me a home and a family in this site. I feel like I finally fit somewhere. He's given me the most amazing young people to work with and hopefully teach something to. Um, And he's given me some of the best friends who've been there for me through some really dark times over the last few years. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6 say, "'Trust in the Lord with all your heart "'and lean not on your own understanding. "'In all your ways submit to him "'and he will make your path straight.'" In my own understanding, it was going to be easy. I would come in, sort out the team, and leave within six months. But God brought me to a place where I had to trust him and lean on him. And in doing that, He has given me all I needed to build a good youth team here. But he's also given me more than I ever realized I needed. So if God is calling you to something that doesn't make sense, I would just say, take that leap of faith and trust in him. You'll get so much more than you could ever dream you would, just like he did for me here in Haven't.
0: Amazing. I think two, two terrific things we can learn from that story. Number one is just to be encouraged by, like the, just by quiet, humble, faithful obedience, saying, God, I'm going to go and do what you want me to do. Like Shan, I don't not think, has got a degree in youth work. Um, she didn't go and study youth ministry at, um, at Bible College or anything like that, but you will not find many better youth leaders than Shan Mayer. Um, so we're very grateful to have her with us. Second as well, um, a personal gripe is that I was the leader of the youth team in Chichester when, um, when I was told that Shan was going for six months and then was going to come back. I'm just going to tell you I never saw her again, okay? So, um, Chichester's loss was far more abundantly haven't gained. I'm just going to ask Shan, Shan, what would be a couple of prayer points that we could have if we want to be praying for our youth in heaven?
1: Um, I guess one, that they could know God better and just deepen their relationship with him and um for the youth in general we're taking them to new day this summer so it'd be really great if you could pray that they have amazing encounters with god there and come back more on fire for him than they are right now
0: and i'm going to ask sean to to lead us in praying for our youth. perhaps if we could stand to our feet again if we're able just for a moment let's pray with sean she's going to be leading us in prayer but we're praying too, asking god would you do a, a wonderful mighty thing in our young people
1: yeah father thank you so much for the amazing youth we have in Grace Church and especially here at the Haven site, Lord, I just pray for your blessing to be poured out on them, for your spirit to fill them, to overflow them so that they go out into the world and people see there's something different about them, that they want to know what it is that's so great about our young people, Lord. And I just pray that as they get to know you better, their love for you deepens and their relationship with you strengthens, Lord, and they know that they can rely on you in whatever they need you for, Lord. And we just pray as we take them to New Day. They'll be excited and we can take as many kids as we can, Lord, and they come back absolutely on fire for you, Lord. We just pray for encounters with you and to see your spirit moving in our young people in this church. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Let's give one last round of applause for Charm. Um, I'm going to hand over to Lou. We're just going to do a whole load of applauding this morning, so you might as well just keep it going, keep it going.
2: Thank you. So I um, have called my testimony not part of the plan. So this is kind of the story of God working through my career. And teaching, if you don't know, um, has always been my plan since I was about that high when I started teaching the other children in kids' club how to do the Macarena. Um, So I was teaching, I did my degree, and then I did my PGCE, went in to start working as a teacher... But in December of 2019, I was really unhappy in the school I was in. I felt really unsupported. So I handed in my notice at that point. And if you don't know, in teaching, you have to serve a terms notice. So my plan was to serve that notice round till Easter, then work as a supply teacher for the summer term whilst applying for another teaching job um, to start the following academic year. Little did I know that my last day, being at the end of March, beginning of April, would throw my plan A completely out of the window. There was no supply work, and we were all on lockdown. Um, So during this time, I was living with my mum, but I was also looking after my gran, and she had dementia at that point. Um, And she had absolutely no idea about coronavirus, shielding, masks, social distancing. It meant nothing to her. So in order to keep her safe, my gran ended up coming to live with us as well. So I was at home. I wasn't working. And I kept applying for jobs, but nothing was happening for about six months. And I was so confused. I thought, but this isn't my plan. This is not the plan that I'd got for myself um, so I just kept applying for jobs looking after my gran every day and I was also in my spare time which I had plenty of uh, sewing scrubs for the NHS. I didn't expect my job hunt to last that six months but I can now see how God needed me to be available at home throughout that whole time and in the September I finally found a job as a care assistant in the local community um, And this has been one of the most emotionally draining but rewarding decisions that I ever made. It opened up my eyes to the vulnerability of so many people living in our communities. And I've been able to quietly share my faith with them, bring a little joy to their day, and to hold their hand when they're grieving. And there's something really powerful in that. So June of last year, an office-based position came up as a care advisor, I wasn't originally planning to stay in the care industry or to go into an office role um, and I had no idea really of what this role would involve but God prompted me to apply so I did. And I now work in the office heading up the recruitment for our five offices as well as fielding phone calls and being the listening ear on the end of the phone when somebody's looking for care either for themselves or for a loved one. Now, although it's entirely different from my own plan for my career, God is currently using me in this place. Even at my interview stage, I got to talk about Jesus. And my colleagues have started even apologizing to me when they swear in front of me because they notice that I don't swear. And I thank God that his plan for my life and my career is so much greater than mine could ever be. And I'm very excited to see where he's going to take me next.
0: Thank you. Yeah, again, so encouraging just to hear about God working in ways that we do not expect. If we could only have more of God's eye, like the bird eye view from God's perspective of how he is weaving all kinds of things um, together in our lives in unexpected ways. Just thinking as we're hearing these wonderful testimonies this morning, just how it it is so true isn't it and we are so prone to forget that actually it is in the moments where we are most weak and things are falling apart the most and things are most difficult that actually god is doing his biggest and most powerful works in our life um and actually it's the times where things are are hard and seem just beyond our grasp that actually god is god is doing something and that is the almost the sign of that god is seems far away and we're struggling actually is the sign of that god is most close and is going to be most close with us And um, in a moment, we're going to take communion. We've just got one more testimony. We're going to take communion. I think it would be so good, as we are sharing communion together, to to pray for each other as well. Perhaps if we just gather. If you want to take it individually, that's absolutely fine. No compulsion. But perhaps just to gather with a couple of people around you and for us to be vulnerable with each other, um, if we feel able to, and just share, like, what is it that actually, what are the troubles that we are going through? And actually to hear the encouragements that we've had from, from Linda and from Thomas and Catherine about the, the power of prayer um, and to say, God, we, we believe that. We trust that you are a God who listens to prayer, who answers prayer. And so we're going to seat you today. Um, last testimony for the morning, we're going to go to Joel. <clears throat>
3: Um, I was relieved to see that Linda didn't have notes because I've got none. Um, I was like, oh man, everyone's so prepared. Um, I wanted to just share something that God's been teaching me over the last, I think, um, I guess my whole life, but I've only started to realize it um, in the last like four or five years, and particularly in the last six months, then I've started to kind of see where at various points in the last six years he's been teaching me that, Um, and yeah, so if it, it seems I'm kind of still piecing it together <laughs> as I kind of talk it through then, uh, it's because I am. Uh, so I work at a place called CYE, um, Christian Youth Enterprises. It's uh, like an outdoor center down in the harbour, Chichester Harbour, and um, we take like, lots of school kids, usually year five and six, we take them sailing and kayaking and then tell them about Jesus at the same time. And I went there straight from college, uh, and when you do like your first year there, then and your second year, and your third and fourth year, if, I, I went thinking it was just going to be a gap year. Anyway, here I am, six years later. Um, you live on site, and so you're like living with the people you're working with, and you're living at work, and um, it's quite like, it's quite an intense environment. It's good fun, but it's it's intense because you've got a load of um eighteen year olds who are learning to kind of work and live together and be adults. Um maybe. But the way I dealt with it is it brought up a a big part of me which was I guess like I'd call a perfectionist. I think it's just pride. <laughs> um where it's and this kind of desire to earn um like approval and this feeling like I need to earn God's love and this feeling that's like uh, if I need to, if I want to come into God's presence, then I need to have this checklist of everything I've done, you know, uh, or this kind of other checklist of everything that I haven't done or I've messed up in, and I need to work through that. And I need to be like, no, look, I am good enough. Here, here, here. Or I've spent this many days or this many weeks not messing up, so I can I can come to God. And my way of dealing with um, helping this person, this friend who was struggling, was to kind of presume that I was just doing everything wrong and that I need to be putting in more effort or um, I just kind of would analyze my performance every night of like, oh, then I did this and I didn't do this and so that's why they're struggling. And then that just played over into my relationship with with God and that I was like, oh, I'm just so, I'm just terrible. Like, I'm just, just not, not good enough um, to come to him. And um, just amongst that then started to kind of, then take that on myself of, then I really started to struggle with with the self-harm and stuff for uh, a few, well, like one or two years. Um, And it was just like a really low time. And I just reached a point where I was like completely burnt out, had nothing left. Um, I think similar to you, I was like, went into it being like, no, I'm strong enough. I can do this. Like I can help and I can cope. And um, reached a point where I was like, I don't have anything and don't even feel like I can really come to God because look how terrible I am. Like, look at all these things I need to do. And it's been like a process. There wasn't a moment where I can say, oh, this, it changed right here. But there's, there's a couple of things that Jesus started to show me. Um, I won't go into all of them, but the two main things, and these are the things I have kind of realized recently, when Jesus is on the cross, and he says it 's finished, and the moment where the veil um, in the temple tears and i don 't know how much you know about like the temple or the the tabernacle, um, but essentially it was like laid out, so there was this whole process to get to God, so there was like a gate that only the priests could go in, and then there 's a an altar and a washing basin, and then there 's another like door, and then you 've got the like the lamp and the bread and and then there 's another curtain which is into the holy place, and that's got these two big angels, these cherubim, which is like a, a picture of when God um, blocks the way to the Garden of Eden. It's guarded by these angels. And for, for the priest, then, there's this whole process, and I guess that's what I was doing. You know, this, like, and I'd probably never really get further than the altar of, like, oh, okay, I'll, sac- I'll sacrifice this or, you know, prove I'm good enough. And so I'd never really walk further into the presence of God because either then you go past that and then you get to the place where you've got a wash and you're like, oh man, I've got no chance. Like, I'm so, I'm so dirty. Um, and it, Jesus comes and he lives his life fulfilling these different parts of, of the, the tabernacle, of the temple. And it's, it's like crazy when you look into it. And then... He has um, the Passover with his disciples, and he's like, this is now about me, and it's, it's like mind-blowing. But then on the cross, he, he dies, and just before he dies, he says, it is finished. I just want to quickly read a verse which kind of, I guess, explains what that means um, for me. It says um, in Colossians chapter 2. And verse 13, it says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Now, I would have read that as you are dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Like, I was a Christian. I knew Jesus, but I was still like, now I'm dead. Like My sinful nature has not been cut away. And it says, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. And this is the bit that when Jesus says, it is finished, that's what it means for me he cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So it's just this moment where Jesus says it's finished and then everything, like this whole process that I'm going through to get to him and all these checklists, he just takes them and he like nails it to the cross with Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, it just, it just doesn't exist. And it's kind of... I guess I was in a place where I was like, but can I claim that like, as my own? To so be like, it doesn't matter what I've done this week, or it doesn't matter you know, how many times I've read the Bible, or how many times I've like, self-harmed this week. It doesn't matter. Like Jesus has said it's finished. There's no requirement against you anymore. Um, but then it goes a step further, because then as soon as he said that and he dies, the veil is torn. This thing that says, oh, you can't come into the presence of God, unless you've gone through this whole process. It's it's torn, and it's never getting sewn back together. Like, it's never getting remade. And so, I guess what I'm learning now, and what I'm kind of in the middle of learning, is that what Jesus has done for me means that I can just walk freely into his presence. And not even that, but actually, like, I never leave his presence. It's not like a kind of you know oh, this morning I'm having my quiet time so I'm walking into the presence of God and then I finish quiet time so I'm walking out again it's like no like he's taken me into his presence and I'm just there all the time and he keeps me there and he says what he's done for me and he you know, it's his blood and what he's done that that keeps me there and there's nothing that I need to do so yeah and like from that then I don't struggle with the self-harm anymore because it's like, well, what's the point? You know, there is literally no need for it because that's just not held against me. Um, And I'm learning to to come more freely into the presence of God, trusting what Jesus has done. Um,
0: You can stay up here if you like because we're um, going (laughs) to save you the trip. We're going to finish just by um, where Joel has so helpfully been helping us to look, which is looking at Jesus on the cross for us. Um, we're going to take communion together. Mel and Joel, we're going to start playing. Um, as Joel was speaking, I just um, thought of Romans chapter 8, verse 32, which says, "'He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, "'how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things?' And that verse is, is astonishing. Cause what it says is that that God has done the the most important, valuable, precious thing for us that it is possible for anyone to do, which is given His Son for us. And it says that if He has given His Son for us, then we can be assured that He will give us graciously all things. And all things that might not mean that we don't struggle with anxiety. That might not mean that we are healed every time we pray for it but it can mean it does mean that we are assured that god is always with us he is our shepherd always present with us always fighting for us always for us and not against us and um i wonder
1: perhaps if we could go and get the bread and wine and then come back and we'll take it all together